This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Every summer, I have the distinct pleasure of spending an entire month with people from all over the world here in Dallas teaching the Arabic language, Quranic Arabic, the language of the Quran, and discussing and exploring the timeless lessons and wisdoms of the Book of Allah. We call this experience Quran Intensive. Please check out BayinaSummer.com That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H Summer.com to get more information and sign up. I look forward to seeing you here Insha'Allah at the Quran Intensive. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ سُلَالَةٍ مِنْ طِينٍ ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَاهُ نُطْفَةً فِي قَرَارٍ مَكِينٍ ثُمَّ خَلَقْنَا النُّطْفَةَ عَلَقَةً فَخَلَقْنَا الْعَلَقَةَ مُضْغَةً فَخَلَقْنَا الْمُضْغَةَ عِظَامًا فَكَسَوْنَا الْعِظَامَ لَحْمًا ثُمَّ أَنْشَأْنَاهُ خَلْقًا آخَرَ فتبارك الله أحسن الخالقين ثم إنكم بعد ذلك لميتون ثم إنكم يوم القيامة تبعثون ولقد خلقنا فوقكم سبع طرائق وما كنا عن الخلق غافلين وأنزلنا من السماء ماء بقدر فأسكناه في الأرض وإنا على ذهاب به لقادرون الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة المتقين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين So yesterday um, or in the previous session, we discussed ayah number 10 and 11, which concluded the previous passage. We also started with ayahs 12, 13, and 14, which uh, start this particular passage. And we discussed how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, basically as a proof and as an evidence of the, not only just the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being deserving of our worship and our obedience, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents what they call a few dala'il here. The, many of the classical mufassirun have said this is istidlalullahi subhanahu wa ta'ala ala wahdaniyatihi wa ala rububiyyatihi wa uluhiyatihi. That this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala establishing the proof of not only the oneness of Allah, but also the fact that Allah is the creator of everything and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is deserving of the worship and the obedience of His creation. So in ayahs 12 through 14, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about the creation of the human being. And we talked about the seven stages that Allah mentions for the creation of the human being. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents what is the mustadal alayh. What is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exactly calling the attention to? That if the human being is able to grasp 
his or her creation and be able to understand that, yes, Allah granted me this existence uh, and Allah created me, then what is it that we are to accept and then believe in? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in ayah number 15, ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ لَمَيِّتُونَ Now just a very brief translation that then most definitely after that, after the above stated, and I talked about how Dalika refers to the aforementioned, everything that was said above. So after accepting, after processing and accepting what was stated above in the previous three ayats, لَمَيْيِتُونَ Now grasp the fact that without a doubt, you most definitely will die. And the word, the new word here is مَيْيِتُونَ This comes from the word moat, which means, again, normally we translate the word moat as death. And I'll present you a little something to kind of chew on, something to consider. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kuntum amwatan. Kuntum amwatan. That you were, let's right now stick with the meaning of dead. You were dead. Fa'ahyakum. And then He gave you life. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He gave you life. Thumma yumitukum. Then again He will give you death. Thumma yuhikum. And then again, he will give you life. And then to him, do you are you returning? So, and now I also want to present to you the ayah from the beginning of Surah Al-Mulk, where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Alladhi al-mauta wal-hayata," that He is the one who created death and life. Now, almost intuitively, when you translate that or you talk about death and life together, you intuitively want to say what first: life and then death. Right? You want to say he's the one who created life and death. But that's not what Allah says. Allah says, Al-Mawta wal-Hayata. Death and life. Now there's a lot of discussion. Why does Allah mention death before life? Even though we know life comes first and then death follows. So some mufassirun, which I feel is a bit of a stretch. What they call in the Arabic language, it's a bit of takalluf. Right? It's a bit of a stretch. There, that they said that, well, because the nature of the surah is making you reflect on the finality of life and your deeds, right? فَأَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا So Allah can see which of you have best deeds, the most excellent deeds. So it's talking about our actions and their implications in the life of the year after. And that's why Allah mentioned death before life. Okay, let's just say we accept that explanation. But what about the ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah where it's clearly laying out a sequence of events and it says, كُنْتُمْ أَمْوَاتًا You were dead. فَأَحْيَاكُمْ And then He gave you life. And then He will give you death, and then He will give you life. So we obviously now here understand that before life, we know in the English language, you don't call that death. The state that one was in before life, we don't call that death in English. So that means that the concept of death is more than the, the excuse me, the concept of moat is more than just simply what we call death in English. There's something more here. And that's why to do justice to the word mot and how Allah uses it within the Qur'an, there's a little bit more to it and that is lifelessness. Almost looking at it as lifelessness. Somebody might say, that's just semantics, that's just playing with words. Maybe it is. But that's part of our study of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is having a proper, a deeper appreciation of what Allah is saying here. And now it allows you to further understand when the Prophet of Allah sallallahu refers to sleep as a type of death. It's a type of unconsciousness, right? Lifelessness. Seemingly, 
it seems to, that person seems to be lifeless. And now we also understand that the dua that the Prophet ﷺ taught us at the time of going to sleep, Allahumma bismika amutu wa ahya. Amutu. I experience death, now I experience a type of unconsciousness, lifelessness, defensive, de, de, uh, being defenseless. And also the dua that the Prophet ﷺ taught us when we wake up in the morning, Alhamdulillahi ladhi ahyana ba'dama amatana. Right, that the ultimate praise is for Allah who revived us after putting us in a state of death or lifelessness. Right, unconsciousness. So it just gives you a little bit more appreciation for the scope of the word mot in the Arabic language. So first and foremost, I'd like to bring our attention to that. But over here, it is definitely talking about death and that is established by the sequence, not only of the ayat, but also the usage of the word thumma. Thumma puts things in sequence in order. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ There's multiple cues here that it's telling you, it's talking about what comes, what comes after all these different stages of life. So we can very, over here in this context, we can translate it as death. You will die, you will experience death. Now a couple of more things to talk about this this concept of death as well, and lifelessness that's mentioned in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very... Interestingly, very remarkably, three places in the Quran, Allah mentions "Kullu nafsin dha'iqatul maut." Kullu nafsin dha'iqatul maut. That each and every single soul. Now we normally translate it as "shall taste death." But what's very interesting and fascinating, and we're going to learn this in our study of the Arabic language as well, is that the issue of tasting, right? That that word for tasting death, "dhok," which does mean to taste something. But the word that's used is not a future tense verb. Right? It's not saying, كُلُّ نَفْسٍ تَذُوقُ الْمَوْتِ That each and every single soul shall taste, will taste death. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more specifically is using what we call the ism fa'il, the active noun. The active noun, the active participle. And what that, what that means, the ism fa'il, is that something is going on right now at this moment. It's an active noun. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, each and every single soul is tasting death. ثُمَّ إِلَيْنَا تُرْجَعُونَ And to us, will you return? It's also the present tense verb. You are constantly in a state of returning back to Allah. And this is what the Prophet ﷺ would bring our attention to constantly, is that as every moment passes, we are closer and closer to the grave, we are closer and closer to dying, to passing away, and to returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that really puts life into context and gives you an appreciation for what every single moment means. And it reminds you, again, the mention of death here reminds you of that profound, beautiful hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, where he says, qabla khamsin. That take advantage of, take, you know, make the most of, Five things before five. Five before five. And he says, Hayatika qabla mawtika. Your life before your death. That make the most of every moment, every second. Right? Live life to its fullest. And a lot of times we hear these types of concepts, you know, in our culture where it talks about living, every mo- living in the moment and living every moment to its fullest. And sometimes we feel that it's a little contradictory to our spiritual kind of paradigm. That this doesn't seem to fit in with the Islamic philosophy. 
That no, we have this, we have our sights, you know, we're, we're fixated on death and the life of the hereafter. But no, we actually just fail to understand. And the Qur'an says, وَلَا تَنْسَ نَصِيبَكَ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا Don't forget about your portion in the life of this world. And uh, the qawl is attributed to Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, وَعْمَلِ akhiratika كَأَنَّكَ تَعِيشُ أَبَدًا that when you plan for the akhirah, plan as if you're going to live forever, meaning have very grand, huge plans. And plan for your dunya, your worldly affairs, like you'll die tomorrow. That basically, it's not something that's even worth, you know, a long-term plan. But what I'm trying to say here is that living life to its fullest and living in the moment and making the most of every opportunity, that is absolutely a Muslim mindset. Just as long as we understand that everything we are doing in the moment and this second and every opportunity is something that is approached with an akhirah-based mindset. Right? Like, like again, Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, Kunu abna al-akhira, wala takunu abna al-dunya. Be people who are interested in the life of the hereafter. Don't be people who are interested in temporary enjoyment and pleasure. Right? So, the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Thumma inna kum ba'da thalika lamayyitun. So that's a little bit about the concept of death from the Islamic perspective and from the Qur'anic perspective. Now the second thing I wanted to mention here linguistically before we move forward is mayyitun. The word is mayyitun. Now there are two words when talking about the dead or the deceased that are used within the Qur'an. There's this mayyit that's also mentioned in another place in the Qur'an. Innaka mayyitun wa innahum mayyitun. Right, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that that you will die, and they will also die. But in another place in the Qur'an, when Allah is talking about the dead or the deceased, He also uses another word, which is the word mate. Mayit versus the word mate, with the sukun in the middle. Mate. And that is in Surah Al-Hujarat, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives that really powerful Right, uh, example and parable of backbiting. Ayuhibu ahadukum antakula lahma akhihi maitan, maitan. Right, where Allah likens the uh, backbiting to the eating of the uh, dead flesh of a sibling. But there, where Allah talks about the deceased, uses the word mate. And so the subtle difference in language between those two words is mate is what you call some some someone who is already deceased. Right, So when the dead body is in front of you, when you are standing in front of the deceased, the dead body, the lifeless body is called mate. Mayit, specifically in classical Arabic, and the Quranic language is very sensitive to this, that mayit refers to somebody who might not be dead right now, but will eventually die. Right, so that's what the word mayit is used for, and that's why the Prophet ﷺ was told in the Quran by Allah, إِنَّكَ mayit, you will die. And here Allah is saying again, ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ You will, بَعْدَ After going through all these stages, and experiencing all this blessing of Allah, and witnessing the, the, the miraculous powers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creation of Allah, the qudra of Allah, لَمَيْجِتُونَ You will die, sooner, sooner or later. You will experience death, lifelessness. 
Now, a couple of things I want to point out in this ayah, and then I'll move forward, and I'll, t- and I'll explain what I'm pointing out after we uh, go through the following ayah. This ayah is very remarkable. The scholars point out the fact that there are three levels, or rather I would say uh, four levels of emphasis. There are four levels of emphasis in this ayah. And this is the Qur'anic language. It shows you the, 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 the power uh, and really the, uh, um, how amazing the Qur'anic language is. Number one, the first level of emphasis, the first degree of emphasis is delivered by means of what? That's a real question, not a rhetorical question. No? Inna. Inna anna ka'anna layta lakinna la'alla. Right? Forgot already? Khalas? Gave the exam. I don't need it anymore, brother. Alright? May Allah forgive you. Say ameen. <laughs> Alright. I win. So, um, the first level of emphasis is by virtue of the word inna. Inna litawkid. We talked about this. Inna is for emphasis. Li'izalatil shak. To remove doubt. It's for emphasis. It means certainly, definitely, most definitely, verily, so on and so forth. Alright? So, indeed. Right? So, Inna is the first level of emphasis. The second level of emphasis is that this could have been said in a verbal sentence. Right? It could have been said, Satamutuna or Tamutuna ba'da dhalika. That you will die after all of that, after what was said above. You will die. Verbal form. But it's said in the nominal form. Lamayitun. It's a nominal sentence. It's a noun-based sentence. Jumla ismiya. That is the second level of emphasis. Because the jumla ismiya is more emphatic than the jumla fi'aliya. A nominal sentence is more emphatic than a verbal sentence. Number two. Number three, there is abnormal sentence structure. Normal sentence structure is, ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ مَيِّتُونَ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ Mayitun would come first and بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ would come second. But this is, They're almost adds like an exclamation mark. Alright? And adds an exclamation mark. Like it's emphasis. Alright? Then after going through all of this, you will experience that. And then that's number three. And number four is the lamb on Mayitun. That lamb is also called lamu tawkid. More emphasis. Inna is for tawkid, and then the lamb is for more tawkid. It's like double emphasis, and we talked about this before, that overemphasizing excessively, right? Like how I speak, for instance, really, really amazing, right? That's not very eloquent. That's overdoing it. That's not good. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not do that in the Qur'an. Right? But Allah uses these subtle degrees of emphasis. Inna here, jumla ismiya, the nominal sentence here, a little bit of reverse uh, sentence structure over there. But then sometimes, doing it occasionally is very, very eloquent and very powerful. Because if you don't use it very often, right? It's kind of like that, that, that look that your mom gives you. You know what I'm talking about? The look, right? It just makes you melt, right? She don't use it very often. She didn't use it very often, but when she busts it out, you just, you wish you could die. Lamayitun. Lamayitun. Tumaynakum ba'dadalika lamayitun. Right? Now you want to die. Right? So it's, it's secret weapon. Right? So when you occasionally use something, it maintains its effect and its impact. Right? And that is the multiple layers of emphasis. That is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
in his infinite eloquence and wisdom, that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses it. And this is one of those places where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala utilizes it. And He mentions it. And so there are these four, lam, more emphasis, fourth layer of emphasis. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, without a doubt, make no mistake, that after going through all of these stages, you will experience death, no doubt. So that there's just, we are faced to deal with reality. This is us being slapped in the face with reality. This is all coming to an end. Alright? Moving on to ayah number 16. ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ تُبْعَثُونَ Brief translation, and then, most definitely, on the day of resurrection, you will be raised again. You will be raised up. So then, obviously, يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ يَوْم means day, الْقِيَامَةِ means resurrection. Um, and تُبْعَثُونَ تُبْعَثُونَ Ba'atha yab'athu in the Arabic language means to raise up, to resurrect. Alright, so um, that's the word that's used here and it's in the verbal form and it's passive. You will be resurrected. You shall be resurrected. Now, one thing I want to point out here is that there are three levels of emphasis here. If you're looking at the two ayat side by side, and now that you know the previous ayat, four layers of emphasis, this has three. Let's see if you can point them out to me. Number one would be what? Innakum. Very good, the inna. Number two would be the? So now we realize something. It's not a nominal sentence. It's a verbal sentence. I just told you that's why it's a passive verb. So there's not three, there's two layers of emphasis. And that would be the abnormal sentence structure. And the two things that are missing is that this is a verbal sentence versus the previous one that was a nominal sentence. What else did the previous statement have that this does not have? That extra lam. Lamayitun. There's no other extra uh, emphasis here towards the end of the ayah. Alright, so this has half the emphasis that the previous ayah had. Thumma innakum yawmal qiyamati tuba'athun. That most definitely you on the day of resurrection, will be brought forth, will be resurrected. Alright, so, the scholars discuss now, obviously, this is the ultimate point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is driving all of this to, and that is the idea of resurrection. For multiple reasons. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because the mushrikun, the people of Mecca at that time, they had a problem with the idea of resurrection. They didn't deny death. Of course, life is going to end. Everyone dies. It's a reality. They've seen people die. They witnessed people die. They've lost loved ones. They grasped death. But it was the idea of resurrection that was problematic to them. Right? Right? Time and time again, Allah mentions in the Quran that they, they, they come and they question and they object and they argue and they debate and even mock and ridicule. Right? Right? That they, they come with the, uh, with the crumpled bones or dust in their hands and he said, who will bring this to life after it has died? Right? So this was the problem that they had and this is the point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is driving home here. But then it raises, it begs the question that 
this would have the more emphasis. Many, many Mufassirun, Ibn Kathir, and Qurtubi, Zamakhshari, Razi, they all bring this question forward, that this would be the statement with the more emphasis. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places more emphasis on the ayah that is about death, about dying. Why not this ayah? Well, there's two answers that are given to that. That Allah is not exclusively and only talking to the mushrikun here, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually speaking to the believers. And the believers have accepted resurrection. That is a part of their belief, part of their aqidah, part of their belief, their iman. So they accept this, they believe in this. But it is the concept of death that is now the motivator. Right? That is the motivating factor. That's why the Prophet ﷺ said, min That frequently remember that which is the destroyer of pleasures. Right? That deal with your mortality. How temporary you are. And then try to make the most of the opportunity. So that's one answer to this particular question. And then the other thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also kind of backing them into a corner. By placing so much emphasis on death, it's kind of the, it's, it's a type of uh, argumentation, it's a type of debate strategy that is called al-jawabul ilzami, right? That you're basically backing your, um, your, your, the person that you're arguing with into the corner and you're saying, do you accept that death will come? Yes or no? Yes. Okay then, that's it. Because the argument ends there. That you accept that this life will end. Now, if you still want to deny resurrection, now you are basically resigning yourself to a meaningless existence that at the most will last 60, 70 years, but again has so many variables involved, so much uncertainty. It could end at any moment. It could end at 20 or at 30 or at 40 or at 50 years. And then there is nothingness. Your life meant nothing. It all just ends and concludes. That emptiness. If you are okay with that emptiness and you choose to live with that emptiness, then that's fine. Then accept that that's what you say and that's what you believe and that's how you see and view yourself. And that the fact that you're okay with that. If not, there has to be something then now we can have a conversation. And that's why the greater emphasis, because of just the strategy of the conversation, the more emphasis was placed on the concept of death rather than the concept of resurrection. And the third answer to that is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not done talking about the concept of resurrection. And that is where we will transition to now the following ayat, which basically will be an argument for resurrection. The following ayat are an argument for resurrection as we'll talk about in just a minute. Before we go forward, before we talk about that, before we go forward, before we talk about that, um, there's a couple of things I wanted to point out here. One thing is very interesting. One of the scholars, one of the mufassirun, he actually mentioned something very profound. He says that as much as we might say that, well, why is so much emphasis needed on death? Al-mawtu shay'un musallamun. 
Right? Death is something everyone accepts, everyone realizes, everyone knows, everyone has to die. And he, sa- he mentions a little quote, an anonymous quote. Uh, you know, it's just a quote from a wise person. He says, I have never seen, I have never come across a more confirmed idea that was as doubtful in the minds of people than death. I've never seen anything, I've never come across a more certain, more confirmed idea that is more doubtful in the minds of people than death. That everyone, if you sit them down on paper, in almost like just objectively, they'll say, well, of course, death, you know, death and taxes, right? Death and taxes, like everybody, every language, every culture has some type of an expression, an idiom, a phrase that talks about the certainty of death. Every culture acknowledges it. Every ideology, every theology, every belief acknowledges it. But when you actually observe how people live their lives, it's like they don't even believe that death exists. So while we say it's a certainty, it's something we believe in, But our behavior says to the contrary. So before we say that, why is Allah placing so much emphasis on death? When we know that we have to die, do we really know we have to die? Did my behavior and my conduct and my decision making today reflect the fact that I grasped the fact that I have to leave this world? Did it or did it not? And right there you have the answer of whether Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did actually have to emphasize death or not. Because our actions say otherwise. Very profound. And then the last thing I'll point out about the balagha of the ayah, and this is going to take a little bit of paying attention. So if you have all the ayat that we've studied so far, right? So we just concluded ayah number 16. So we'll go ahead and just start even with ayah number 12. And actually you can go back to the beginning of the surah. For the sake of discussion, go all the way back to the beginning of the surah. قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ المؤمنون, The way Allah is saying that the believers have achieved success. Is that what we call second person or third person? Third person. Alright? الَّذِينَ هُمْ And you all know this from an Arabic perspective. Is that a second person pronoun or a third person pronoun? Third person pronoun. And then follow along throughout the rest of the passage. Right, the first eleven ayat: "Aladina yarithuna," those that they will enter, inherit the al-firdaus, whom fiha khalidun. Fourth, third person. وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ We created the human being. ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَاهُ and then we made him. We placed him. All third person, more third person. And then in ayah number fifteen, Allah said: "ثُمَّ إِنَّ كُمْ كُمْ." Is that third person or second person? That's second person. Y'all know this. Second person pronoun, attached pronoun, kum. Right? Ka kuma kum, ki kuma kum, right? So you know that that's second person. How, how and why did it all of a sudden transition from third person to second person? That's a switch in tone. And this switching of from third person to second person is what's called in language al-iltifat. Al-iltifat. Alright, that this transition that occurs. And whenever this transition occurs in language, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is changing the tone of the ayat. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was talking about this 
that look, these are the qualities and the descriptions of successful people. Now let's talk about people in general. How did people come about? And the creation of people. And then Allah, the second that it talks about the life of the year after, now it's making you grasp the idea of death. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it very personal. Because if you make it personal from the very beginning, sometimes that's a bit strong. People are like, you're coming on strong. People are like, wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second. Why are you talking to me? Why are you attacking me? Are you saying I don't have khushu in my salah? Are you saying that I engage in useless activity? Are you saying that I uh, don't give charity? Excuse you, brother. Right? People get very defensive. And this is from the beautiful style of the Qur'an. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying it in the third person. Look, good people do this. And good people do that. And you don't feel attacked. You don't feel defensive. And after it's worked you into these concepts... Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turns the focus on us and He says, ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ لَمَيِّتُونَ Now think about the idea that are you going to die or not? Now that I've kind of brought you into the conversation and made you comfortable, now it turns the focus on you. Are you going to die or not? You say, yeah, I am. ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ تُبْعَثُونَ And then you'll be resurrected on the day of resurrection, qiyamah. Yes, I will be. So doesn't it make sense that you reflect on everything we talked about before? And really give it some serious thought? Say, yeah, I should. And so this is not only how powerful and how effective the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, but subsequently it's also a lesson for us in how we should approach you know, da'wah and these types of conversations with people as well. Learn from the Qur'an at multiple levels. That first internalize this, and now when you go forward and talk to people, then keep these same things in mind going forward. Ayah number 17. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدَ خَلَقْنَا فَوْقَكُمْ وَلَقَدَ خَلَقْنَا فَوْقَكُمْ سَبْعَ تَرَائِقْ وَمَا كُنَّا عَنِ الْخَلْقِ غَافِلِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, very brief translation, and most definitely we created above you seven levels. وَمَا كُنَّا عَنِ الْخَلْقِ غَافِلِينَ And we are never unmindful of the creation. We are never unmindful or unaware of the creation. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here, a few, let's just uh, talk about some of the linguistics. Um, Saba'a tara'iq. Saba'a, of course, is the number for seven. And the word tara'iq, and already what you can connect here is that there's most definitely, you see again the consistency and the theme of the surah. Seven attributes of the believer, seven stages of our creation. And now Allah explicitly doesn't just talk about what's above us, but He specifically mentions the number seven here again. Alright, so it's just, again... The, the whole issue about numbers in the Qur'an and this and that, um, it's very fascinating. But again, it is a conversation that, that has most definitely in the past been taken too far to almost a, to bizarre lengths. 
right? And that's problematic. And what we fundamentally have to understand, and I don't want this to be misinterpreted or misunderstood when I say this, that this is not outside of the scope of the Qur'an, that not that the Qur'an is not capable of this, but the Qur'an fundamentally is not a math book or not a puzzle. It is not a math puzzle, right? Can the Qur'an contain very sophisticated, profound uh, levels of numerics and mathematics? Absolutely, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, we until the end of the existence of human beings... Right? How much have we studied the Qur'an in 1400 years? Till the end of the existence of mankind, we still will not have even grasped a drop from this ocean. There's no doubt about that. But when we do talk about the objective of the Qur'an, as stated within the Qur'an, that it is guidance. That that's the primary objective. Reflection, guidance. A spiritual transformation. Right? So, but nevertheless, it at the same time should not take us away from observing beautiful layers of consistency and coherence within the Qur'an. Because that most definitely is from the eloquence of the speech of the Qur'an. And while I'm kind of on that topic, I actually forgot to share something really remarkable with y'all. Um, some of the scholars and the researchers within the Qur'an, they actually, they study these nuances and it will blow your mind to what degree and what level they study these nuances. They say that, they've picked up on the fact, they say that in Surah Al-Zumr, in Surah Al-Zumr, that's the ayah in the surah I quoted before, where Allah tells the Prophet ﷺ, إِنَّكَ مَيِّتْ That you are going to die. وَإِنَّهُ مَيِّتُونَ And they will also die, they will also experience death. That over there Allah mentions the word mayyitun, that they will die. It's talking about the concept of death. But over there Allah did not emphasize it with that lam. He didn't say, وَإِنَّهُمْ لَمَيِّتُونَ He just said, وَإِنَّهُمْ مَيِّتُونَ Here in Surah Al-Mu'minun, Surah number 23, Allah says, ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ لَمَيِّتُونَ More emphasis. But it's the same word, mayyitun, mayyitun. Why did Allah emphasize it more so here? Why didn't He emphasize it more so there? Again, the scholars of the Qur'an, they point out because that kind of fits in with the overall style and theme of this surah. That in Surah Al-Zubur, Allah only mentions death twice. This ayah, إِنَّكَ مَيِّتْ وَإِنَّهُ مَيِّتُونَ And later on in the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions death once more. Towards the end of the surah, I don't have the ayah in front of me. Um, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, once more towards the end of the surah, Allahu yatawaffal anfusahina mawtiha. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completely takes the people away when the time of their death arrives. Alright? So twice only death is mentioned in Surah Al-Zumur. Versus that in Surah, surah Al-Mu'minun, Surah number 23, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions death ten times. Ten times. So here Allah emphasizes the word of mot and mayit 
and the concept of death because that is going to be a consistent theme throughout the surah. So again, you're able to appreciate the consistency and the coherence and the style of each and every single surah um, and how basically it talks about these different concepts, kind of the thematic or the uh, you know the thematic structure of each and every single surah. So, anyways, here Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا فَوْقَكُمْ سَبْعَةَ طَرَائِقَ وَمَا كُنَّا عَنِ الْخَلْقِ غَافِلِينَ." Um, غافلين, غفلة, we talked about the concept of this very briefly, but the concept of غَفْلَة, right? It means what? What does the word غَفْلَة mean? Oftentimes, we translate it as. Heedlessness, and earlier uh, we spoke about the concept of heedlessness, that a lot of times we just translate it as heedlessness, but what does heedlessness mean? Right, it means to not have heed, right? <laughs> what does, <laughs> that's not what he said, but that's what I'm saying, right? For the longest time, I remember being a kid, reading translation of the Qur'an, وَمَا We are not heedless of the creation. Heedlessness, fantastic. I'm guessing it means to not have heed, right? But what does that actually mean? So ghafla, in the Arabic language, the concept of ghafla is to be cut off from something. To be severed from something. To be cut off from something. Alright? So as an example, if this microphone is not working, the microphone is not working, now I can beat it, I can bash it, I can pick it up and slam it against the table, I can take it apart and put it back together, it's still not working. Why? Because I didn't check one very simple issue, is it plugged into the power source or not? Right? And then to make the microphone work and function, all I have to do is reattach it to its power source. And voila, we're good. Right? So ghafla is an interruption, a disconnect from the source, from the power source. That's what ghafla means. And that's why the opposite of that, what, what is the remedy for ghafla? So just like I explained, the remedy for the microphone not working is plugging it back into the power source. What are we told by the Prophet ﷺ, by the Qur'an, what is the remedy for ghafla? Dhikr, very good. Dhikr is mentioned as a remedy for ghafla. And what does dhikr do? It reconnects you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this tells you that ghafla is a disconnect from the power source. It's becoming disconnected from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Becoming unmindful as a brother mentioned, right? Becoming unmindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's why the word for dhikr, even though for us it's kind of taken on like a form of its own, it's like a noun that just has its own representation, the remembrance of Allah. But if you literally pay attention to what that means, remember Allah. Remember Allah. Reconnect to Allah. Say the name of Allah. Right? And now you're plugged back into the power source. So that's ghafla. But anyways, here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, so that tells you a little bit about the meaning of the word ghafla. Now what is the ayah actually making reference to? Let's talk about it. وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا فَوْقَكُمْ سَبْعَةَ طَرَائِقَ So before I even go forward, conceptually speaking, I told you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is completing the discussion or the argument of resurrection here by talking about the skies, the creation of the skies. We created above you seven layers. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the creation of the sky. And how does this relate to the concept of resurrection? Well, this is something Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about time and time again within the Qur'an. 
The first thing that's very interesting, very remarkable, is that oftentimes, especially when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pointing out, where He talks about the stages of the creation of human beings, and talking about our physical creation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala oftentimes couples with that, with the mention of the creation of the, of the sky, and of the heavens. So for example, in Surah Sajda, Surah number 32, in the beginning of Surah Sajda, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the creation of the sky. Allahu ladhi khalaqa as-samawati wal-arda wa ma baynahuma fi sittati ayyamin thumma sawa ala al-arsh ma lakum min dunihi min walin wa la shafi'in afla tatadhakkaroon yudabbiru al-amra min as-samai ila al-ardi thumma ya'ruju ilayhi fi yawmin kana miqadaruhu al-fasanatin mimma ta'uddun thalika alimu al-ghaybi wa shahadati al-azizu al-rahim al-ladhi ahsana kulla shay'in khalaqahu wa bada'a khalqahu Right, so Allah talks about creating the heavens and the earth, and then Allah mentions the creating of the human being, min teen. Sound familiar? Min sulalati min teen. Right, so this is a constant uh, kind of a pattern within the Quran that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the creation of man, He also talks about the creation of the heavens. Right, so, and again, that begs the question. Why? Some of the scholars also even mentioned that this, um, so again, that begs the question, why? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَخَلْقُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ أَكْبَرُ مِنْ خَلْقِ النَّاسِ وَلَكِنْ أَكْتَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ That the creating of the heavens and the earth in all their complexities, in all of its fascinating nature, Right throughout the Quran, Allah talks about how beautiful the sky is. How He elevated the sky. That how He made the sky not just a protective covering, but a protected covering. That Allah is protecting the sky. And Allah talks about the earth and all the colors and the mountains and the flowers and the grass and the oceans and the animals and the creation. And then He's sustaining and maintaining everything on the earth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala يُمْسِكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ أَن تَزُولَ Allah maintains the heavens and the earth and prevents them from falling apart. Allah maintains the sky and does not allow it to come crashing down upon the earth. He raised up the sky without any pillars that you can see. Allah even in Surah Al-Mulk, He talks, tells us to look at the sky. Allah says that, look at the creation of Ar-Rahman. Do you see any inconsistency? Do you see any faults? Any gaps? Now go back and look again. And still see if you can pick out any faults or any inconsistencies. That Allah says that you see the, the birds flying above you. Right? وَالطَّيْرُ uh, صَافَاتِ uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the, uh, the birds flying above you. مَا يُمْسِكُهُنَّ إِلَّا Rahman. That it is only Allah who maintains the sky and allows them to fly through the sky. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly in the Qur'an, He talks about this, that reflects on the magnificence of Allah's creation around you. Now why do you have so much difficulty? بَلَا قَادِرِينَ That بَلَا قَادِرِينَ that قادرون على أن يخلق مثلهم. 
أولم يروا أن الله الذي خلق السماوات والأرض بقادر على أن يخلق مثلهم that after you study all of God's remarkable creation around you, then you still have trouble grasping and believing in the fact that Allah could bring you back to life? Is that really so difficult for you to grasp? And even the, 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 the ayat that talked about the creation of the human being, that is our, also an argument. So Allah talked about the creation of the sky here. That is an argument for resurrection. Even the ayat about creating us to begin with is an argument for resurrection. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says at the end of Surah Yasin, that when they come and they object, Who will bring these bones back to life after they've turned to dust? The same one who made it the first time. And again, even though we don't use this argument in regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to process information at our feeble, humble, human level. Is it easier to do something the second time after you've done it once? Yeah, I've done it already. Piece of cake. No problem. And if we feel that way, why is it so difficult to grasp that the one who created everything and us, the first time, that he wouldn't be able to bring us back to life the second time. Right? So, this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now talking about raising the sky. وَلَقَدَ خَلَقْنَا فَوْقَكُمْ Above you. سَبْعَ تَرَائِقْ And also, so above you, so that we look up at it. وَإِلَى السَّمَاءِ كَيْفَ رُفِعَتْ and then reflect on the creation of the sky, and then think about how much arrogance it is on the part of man, on the part of the human being, to think that Allah cannot bring us back to life, or Allah could not bring the human being back to life. The other thing that also it talks about looking up above you, He created the sky above you, is وَفِي السَّمَاءِ رِزْقُكُمْ وَمَا تُعَدُونَ That literally thinking of your sustenance. That if this human being is so selfish, I don't want to look at anything, I don't want to think about anything else, me, me, me. Okay, well you need to survive, don't you? And where does your food and your sustenance come from? It is Allah who's sustaining you. And that's what Allah will talk about in the next ayah. Saba'at taraiq. So the word taraiq, we need to talk about the word taraiq. The word taraiq is plural of the word tariq or tariqah. What does that exactly mean? So this has two meanings. Literally speaking, linguistically, first let me tell you, then I'll tell you why this meaning is used, this word is used here. Um, literally, it means layers. It means a layer. Now we oftentimes translate as path. But it actually, sabil is the most basic word for path. Tariq is more of like a layered path. But it means layers of something. And that's why the most ancient usage of the word was for when somebody would layer their, the soles of their shoes. When the sole would begin to wear out and they would place another layer, another sole underneath that to reinforce the sole of the shoe, they would call that tarqun na'al. To reinforce the shoe. To place another layer, another sole. And so this is talking about layers. Very similar to how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers in Surah An-Nuh as سَبْعَ سَمَوَاتٍ طِبَاقًا سَمَوَاتٍ طِبَاقًا Allah talks about layers of the sky. 
Second thing also, some of the Mufassirun mentioned, that this is also used, tariq is also being used in its other meaning, of actually a path. And so actually, why would a layered path, what do I mean by that, that the Arabs would use the word tariq for a layered path? It was a path that you would frequent regularly, would become your tariq. A path that you would use regularly, like the path from your home to your school or to your work, would become your tariq. That is the path that you would walk regularly. So because it's almost like you're paving like layers on it. And the more you go back and forth on that path, the more it becomes layered in terms of your memory, your experiences, and so on and so forth. So the, that's how the Arabs would very beautifully use the language as well. And so this is, the, Allah refers to the skies as taraiq, because this is the pathway of the angels. Matraqatun lil malaika. Because it's the pathway of the angels, the inhabitants of the angels. Alright? Also it mentions that because this is the pathway of wahi, divine revelation comes from this path. So also it refers to this as well. Taraiq, tariqa. Alright? So, وَلَقَدَ خَلَقْنَا فَوْقَكُمْ سَبْعَ تَرَائِقْ وَمَا كُنَّا عَنِ الْخَلْقِ غَافِلِينَ And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we are not, we have never been, nor we will ever be, oblivious to the creation. Oblivious to the creation. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows exactly what's going on with us, about the sky that He's created, and everything that is passing through the skies. Now what is exactly passing through the skies? Obviously revelation is coming. So nobody should ever make the mistake that what Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is delivering to you, that it is mixed up with something else, or that it is polluted, or that it is falsified in some way. Make no mistake, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows exactly what's passing through. And on top of that, it's also making mention of the fact, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only knows exactly what is coming down from the sky in terms of revelation, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows exactly what is going up into the sky in terms of our deeds. That Allah has given you a mandate that He is very mindful of, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also keeping a watch, a very close watch, on what you do with that mandate. And your actions and your deeds that you are accountable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you see that even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about the creation around us, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all of the talk of even the creation is very, very pointed in a spiritual direction. That is it meant to bring about a sense of spirituality and a spiritual awareness and consciousness and spiritual awakening. Right, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-An'am in ayah number 59, That not a single leaf is falling from a tree, or will ever fall from a tree, except that He knows it. He is fully aware of it. And there is not a single grain not anywhere in the darkest corners of the earth, not any wet grain or dry grain, 
except that it is completely known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how known is it to Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even has it recorded by the angels and the malaika? That He knows everything. And He is mindful of everything. And He is watchful over everything. And He is maintaining everything. This is part of the meaning of Al-Hayyul Qayyum. That how... How that Allah is not only the one who is ever living and gives life to everything, and ever the one who is who remains, but also maintains everything. And this is also something very beautiful, right? And and this is also to give us an awareness of the meaningfulness of all of Allah's creation, and that everything that is going on under this sky that Allah has erected above us. And on top of God's green earth, that it should have meaning for us. And our actions should also start to become, that when we look at the creation of Allah and realize how meaningful it is, that this should inspire us to be more meaningful as well in our actions. And more deliberate and, and meaningful in our actions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Dukhan, Surah number 44, in Ayahs 38 through 40, that Allah says that we did not create the heavens and the earth and everything between them, which is us, la'ibin, as a game, as a joke, meaningless. We didn't create all of this meaningless. And this meaning will return back to at the end of Surah Al-Mu'minun. أَفَحَسِبْتُمْ أَنَّمَا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ عَبَثًا Do you think this is all meaningless? Allah says there in Surah Al-Dukhan that وَمَا خَلَقْنَاهُمَا إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ we created this for a reason and a purpose, a true reason, a real purpose. Most people just don't realize that. They don't want to realize that. That that hour, that day, that appointment is coming where we will have to face this reality. I get it. All right. <laughs> And I'll mention just two things here in two minutes, inshallah. They're like liar. All right, so, <laughs> all right, I'll try to mention two things um, in, in just two minutes, inshallah. One of the Mufassirun, Ibn Ashur, a genius scholar and Mufassir of the Quran. You know, this, is, this again tells you how much attention to detail they had when they studied the Book of Allah. And again, that is not even a drop in the bucket. That he says that, وَمَا كُنَّا عَنِ الْخَلْقِ غَافِلِينَ Could have been said, وَمَا كُنَّا عَنْهُ غَافِلِينَ وَمَا كُنَّا عَنْكُمْ غَافِلِينَ وَمَا كُنَّا عَنْهُمْ غَافِلِينَ It could have been said a number of ways. Allah could have said, وَمَا كُنَّا عَنْكُمْ غَافِلِينَ That we are not oblivious to you. He said, right? وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا فَوْقَكُمْ We created above you. Seven layers. وَمَا كُنَّا عَنْكُمْ غَافِلِينَ And we are not oblivious as to what's going on with you. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not say that. He said, عَنِ الْخَلْقِ Why did Allah mention the word khalq instead of just pointing to the creation or to us with the pronoun? Why say the word khalq? Because the word khalq is a masdar, it's a gerent again, but it stands in place, it means makhluq. And when you say the word makhluq, it automatically makes you think of well, who created it. And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically saying, you know, if I'm speaking to my child, if I'm addressing my child, 
Instead of even using the name of, instead of saying you, I will take care of you. Okay. Maybe I say the name of the child. That's a little bit more attention. I will take care of you. Maryam, I will take care of you. But then if I go further and I say, I will take care of you, my child, my beloved child, my daughter. I'm mentioning the relationship that we share. And the idea that I'm trying to communicate is that based on our relationship, based on the fact that you are my child, can you ever fathom that I wouldn't take care of you? Would you even doubt for a second that I would look out for you? You're my child. That one sentence says all of this. So when Allah says, وَمَا كُنَّا عَنِ الْخَلْقِ غَافِلِينَ You are my creation. Do you think that I would ever turn my attention away from you? And stop watching over you? It's a very, like shafaqah, what they call in the Arabic language. It's a very affectionate address. Where Allah causes His creation... And again, sometimes, again, in English, it might communicate kind of dryly or objectively. We're being called creation. Right? Like a product. No, no, no. In the Arabic language, it's makhluq. You are my creation, Allah is saying. Why, how could you ever think for a second that I wouldn't take care of you? I'm your khaliq. And the khaliq loves his makhluq more than a mother loves her baby. As the Prophet ﷺ taught us in the hadith of Sahih Muslim. So that's one very powerful thing. And lastly, as it's talking about, Allah knows exactly what's going on with His creation. And I'll conclude with this. Very beautiful hadith from the book of Tabarani, from the Mu'ajam of Imam Tabarani, rahimahullahu ta'ala, that مَرَّ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ the Prophet ﷺ passed by a Bedouin man and he was making dua in his prayer. The Prophet ﷺ stopped behind him like a teacher. You know, like an affectionate, caring teacher, like a parent. To listen. How is he reading? What's, what's he saying in his dua? What does he get? And he heard the man saying, Ya Malatarahul Uyun. Oh, the one who eyes cannot witness in this world. Minds cannot comprehend his greatness. People cannot praise him as he deserves to be praised. Situations do not change him. That he does not fear the passing of time. He knows the exact weight of all the mountains in the world. He knows the exact volume of all the oceans of the world. He knows the exact number of drops of rain that fall from the sky. He knows the exact number of leaves on all the trees of the entire world. He knows the exact details of all the things that the night hides in its darkness and the day illuminates with its light. One sky cannot shield another sky from Allah. 
One layer of ground cannot shield another layer of ground from Allah. And a mountain in its deepest, darkest caves cannot hide anything from Allah. And the ocean in its depths and darkness cannot hide anything from Allah. So he's making this beautiful, powerful dua. And he concludes by saying, Allahumma ja'al khayra umri akhirahu. Oh Allah, make the best part of my life the last part of my life. وَخَيْرَ عَمَلِي خَوَاتِمَهُ Make the best action I've ever done in my life, the last action I do with my last breath in this life. وَخَيْرَ أَيَّامِ يَوْمَ أَلْقَاكَ فِي And make the best day of my life, the day I will leave this world, to come back and meet you. And the Prophet ﷺ, وَكَلَ إِلَيْهِ رَجُلًا And the Prophet ﷺ appointed a man, he said, when he's done, bring him to me. He's a Bedouin, simple man, country feller. Right? Simple man. And he's brought to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ says, what's your name? Where are you from? He says, I'm from so-and-so, from Banu Amr bin Sa'asa. Uh, and then the Prophet ﷺ, ahda ilayhi shay'an. The Prophet ﷺ gave him a gift. And then he asks him, knowing the simplicity of the man, says, do you know, ta'alam an limadha wahabtu laka? Do you know why I gave you this gift? So the man says, لِلْرَحِمِ بَيْنَنَا I don't know, maybe we're related. I don't know. <laughs> right? I don't know why somebody gives you a gift. Right? And the man says, لِحُسْنِ ثَنَائِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ I gave you this gift because of how beautifully you praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You get it. You get it. Right? So reflecting on the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by looking at the creation of Allah and then translating that into meaning within our lives. That that's the creator we serve. And that's the creator that we will go and stand before. So let's try to make sure that our lives end up meaning something. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything we've said and heard. We'll continue on inshallah in the next session. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahu bihamdik. Nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nasakfirka wa natubu ilayk.